Welcome to Albuquerque Westside Foursquare's podcast. My name is Tony. I lead worship at Westside Foursquare Church and upload the podcast. If you have questions, comments, or prayer requests, please reach out to us in the email listed in the show notes. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. I think we are live. Kind of doing it impromptu today. I hope that's all right with everyone. Um, I may be checking. Yeah, it says we're live. Good, good. Okay, so um, hopefully that you are on with us this morning, or maybe you're listening to us on the podcast later, but that's good too. Goodness gracious, we've had an interesting couple weeks with our little Westside Foursquare Church family. We've had one family that tested positive for COVID, and so we uh, last year did kind of just a last minute, or last week, thank you, Last week we did kind of just a last minute quarantine and we didn't do a service last week, Um, but everyone's doing well, everyone's doing better. Um, We have people back from out of town this week, but we can't meet this morning and I really miss everybody. Joy and I miss you guys, but um, we're excited. The other really cool thing is it's only like in the 70s outside today. It's wonderful. It was actually raining this morning it was marvelous. Joy and I sat on the back porch and drank our coffee and the wind was blowing and Joy had to go get a jacket. Thank you, Jesus, for cooler weather. We had so many days in the hundreds. So, well, listen, today we're going to continue our um, series on the Ten Commandments in you. Uh, but let's start in prayer, okay? And while we're in prayer, go ahead and get your Bible ready. Remember, I love it when we flip or click over to the passages together. So, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the Ten Commandments. We thank you for the law, which is holy and perfect and good, and which is a guide to us of how to live our lives in a way that works. We ask, God, that you would open our hearts today and our minds to hear your voice, to receive the seed of your word, that we can produce a harvest in our lives for your glory and for your benefit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm going to get a drink of water here. So we have been talking about the Ten Commandments uh, as found in Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. If you guys want to turn there with me. <clears throat> it's been a couple weeks, so I want to go ahead and read through those again. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, excuse me, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And we already talked about, (coughs) excuse me, goodness gracious, 
We already talked about those first two commandments, that we would have no other gods before God, and that we would not make any carved image. And really what we talked about last time was how <clears throat> Christians will actually carve images of God out of Scripture that match themselves. And that's the most dangerous kind of idols that we can create. Today we're going to talk about the one in verse 7, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then the next commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thank you, baby. <clears throat> Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. <clears throat> you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So these are the Ten Commandments. And five of these commandments talk about um, interacting with God and five of these commandments talk about interacting with other human beings you remember where Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and he said all the commandments and the prophets hung on those two commandments and we can see that illustrated here because the first five commandments talk about our interaction with God and a holy and healthy interaction between a human being and God. And the second five commandments <clears throat> talk about a holy and healthy interaction between human beings. So really the Ten Commandments cover both the vertical relationship of us loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they cover the horizontal relationship of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And really, that's what the Ten Commandments do. The Ten Commandments describe a human life that works. They describe a human life that is in balance. A human life that is in proper relationship with God and proper relationship with others. Now, the problem was <coughs> that in our sin, we were incapable of following these commandments. Because that... <coughs> that um, loving relationship between us and God and a loving relationship with others when we're living in sin love is impossible because sin is always selfish it's always prideful it's always self-centered and so love God's kind of love is impossible when we are living in sin and that's why these Ten Commandments were set as a standard to show us what a perfect loving life looks like but also to show us that we needed help because we can't do it on our own because we're born in sin so turn with me to Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 1 
Paul says in Romans 6, starting in verse 1, <clears throat> What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And this passage in Romans 6 is talking about how <clears throat> we are now different creatures. We're no longer bound by sin. We're not supposed to be living our lives in sin because we've died to sin with Christ and been raised to life, to a new life in Christ. Verse 5, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, <clears throat> we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, Something miraculous happens when we enter into life with Christ. Miraculously, our spirits are crucified with him and then raised to new life with him. And this enables us to be set free from sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, a miracle happens where we are no longer bound to sinful, self-centered, manipulative, abusive behavior. You know, one of the big philosophies nowadays talks about oppressors and oppressed, and it wants to split human beings into these oppressor groups and oppressed groups. Well, the truth is, according to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, Every human being is born as an oppressor. Every one of us is born trying to oppress others to get what we want. That's called sin nature. And Jesus came as the only one who was not an oppressor. He's the only non-oppressor. In fact, he was oppressed by humanity. Jesus, because he was righteous, is actually the only true oppressed person in the history of humanity. Purely oppressed. Yes, we all suffer oppression from each other, but he was the only one who was purely oppressed, who had done nothing to deserve any kind of bad behavior. And yet he came down and voluntarily took that place. And then on the cross, he received the punishment for our sin. And then he was raised to life. And now we, when we come to him, we die with him to sin. <clears throat> and we are raised to life. And then it says, verse 14, For sin will no 
will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So now we are alive to God. Now, because of what Christ did and because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we have the ability to walk by the Spirit and we have the ability where the Holy Spirit is moving in us and turning us into the kind of people that can obey the Ten Commandments, that we can live a loving life. Not only that, but that we will want to live a loving, selfless life. This is the miracle that the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is doing in us. That it's turning us into people who can live loving lives. That is what the Ten Commandments describes. But also, God is turning us into the kind of people who want to live loving lives. We don't want to be selfish anymore. We don't want to oppress others anymore. We want to love others. We want to serve others. We want to serve God. So, basically, what happens when we die with Christ and are raised with Him is we begin a divinely sourced life that works, that lines up with what the Ten Commandments tell us. So let's look at today's commandment again. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him, in, hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I want to start with um, what exactly is this commandment telling us? I think there's some misunderstanding, uh, misunderstanding about this commandment, but also some misunderstanding about um, what exactly it expects of us. <clears throat> I have a very dear family member, and I love her dearly. Uh, she was raised in the church, but she walked away from the church, and she rejected uh, Christian teaching. She has gone completely into um, a lot of uh, other things outside of Christianity. Um, she's very angry with the Christianity that she was brought up in. And one of the things, I remember one of her big questions when she was walking away from what she had been taught as a child was kind of centered around this verse, but it was really based, she was very frustrated because she had always been taught her whole life how horrible it was to cuss that you shouldn't cuss. And she kept saying, what, what's the big deal? They're just words, who cares? Um, but it was kind of centered on this verse of not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, and I kind of want to look at that just for a second. Is that what this verse is talking about? It's just, is it just talking about not using God's name as a cuss word? Um, now, I mean, in our society, that is a constant. It's everywhere around us. You can't hardly watch anything in media without seeing God's name being used as a cuss word, whether it's um, just the term God <clears throat> or whether it's Jesus' name being used as cuss words all the time. But is that all that this verse is talking about? Um, I think it's a little deeper. I do think it has an application in that, but really I think um, that this that this commandment has a deeper uh, meaning to it than just not using God's name as a cuss word. 
I mean, the truth is in our society, that is a reality though. It's God and, and the name of Jesus uh, and Christ are used constantly as cuss words, constantly. You know, I, I don't recall really any one using Buddha as a cuss word or using, um, That's what I was just thinking. right? Or yeah. using like Thor as a cuss word, you know, um, or, you know, Baal, dang it. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't hear any other, really any other besides in our society, obviously, this is where I live. This is the life I experience every day. Um, but I don't hear these uh, these other gods being used as cuss words. I just hear, um, you know, the term God, which is typically from a Judeo-Christian standpoint, or the name of Jesus being used as cuss words all the time, which is, I don't know, I think most people kind of just don't even think about it. But I mean, isn't that a little weird? that those happen to be, it happens to be the Judeo-Christian deities that are used as cuss words. I think that is just, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, that's not some scientific statement or anything, but I think it's a little weird that those are the ones that are used. Nobody else is used. But first of all, let's look at this commandment. What is it literally saying to us? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So <clears throat> the word translated vain here the, the Hebrew word that's translated vain literally means to be emptied of value. It's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to things that are valueless, things that are false. In other words, they have no integrity, they have no truth, things that have no um, worth. It's believed that it comes from an old root of, a, of uh, an old root word that describes like a, like a whirlwind passing by and causing destruction, but not really having any value or worth. Um, and then the name that it talks about here, using the name of the Lord your God, is literally referring to the unique name of the Hebrew God, uh, Y-H-W-H, that we uh, have anglicized as Yahweh. Prior to that, it was actually Latinized as Jehovah. And it's literally talking about the name of the Hebrew God, the unique revealed name of the Hebrew God that is used throughout the Old Testament and that was revealed to us. Yahweh is not, um, is, is twisted in some things um, throughout the history of the ancient world, but its origin is uniquely as the God of the Hebrews. It refers to the one true God of the Hebrews, of the Israelites. And so this unique name, um, <clears throat> YHWH, was held in such high esteem by his worshipers that we don't even know how it was originally pronounced because they didn't pronounce it. Because they held the name of their God in such high esteem that they wouldn't say it out loud. In fact, when they would read the scriptures, um, originally in the in the tabernacle, in the in the temple, and then eventually in um, synagogues, they would replace the name spelled Y H W H. They would replace it with Elohim, or they would replace it with another theo theof theophic theophic. Theorific. Theological. Uh, 
Yeah, right. So. Another, another label, another name of God. God is known by a number of different names, but this particular name was considered so holy and revered that they wouldn't even pronounce it. They would replace it. Now, that is a really strange idea to the modern Western mind. That there was that there would be such a, a person or term or idea that is so venerated, that is so lifted high that we wouldn't speak it. Now there's there's many words in our culture that we don't say, but most of them are derogatory terms for people, and we don't say them because they're considered so bad. Um, but even those terms are accepted and embraced by certain groups of people. So like there's words, there's terms that I that I would not use, okay, for people of color. But you go into certain groups of people of color and they will use that term amongst themselves, all right, which is fine. I don't care. I'm not offended by that. I'm not going to get hung up on that, all right? So there are terms and there are words that we don't use in our society because they're considered disrespectful. They're considered shameful to use. They're considered rude to the, the extreme to use. But the concept that there would be a term or a word that is so high in our esteem, that is so venerated in our thinking that we wouldn't say it because our mouths are too dirty to speak that word. That's a completely different term. Like we won't use these other words because we consider that it would, it would desecrate our mouths, okay? But to consider the idea that there would be a term or a thought or a person who is so venerated and lifted up that we consider our mouths already de too desecrated to utter those syllables. That is a weird thought in our culture. That is a weird thought in our world. Um, but to have something that is considered unmentionable because it's so high above us and our existence, um, in our prideful American standpoint uh, and, and perspective on the world, that's a completely alien idea because in our culture, we're pretty hot stuff. We consider ourselves pretty good, you know? We have legal rights and, you know, we have strengths and, my goodness, even a lot of preachers today, that's what they talk about is how amazing you are, you know? Um, and so this idea that we would start from a place of understanding that we are so far below something is really kind of a strange thought. But that is the exact idea behind this commandment. In the Ten Commandments and in, um, <clears throat> in God delivering the law to the Israelites, Really what God was doing is he was calling the Israelites out of the nations of the earth. He was sanctifying them to become a unique people.
people to represent his kingdom, to represent his dominion in the earth. The earth had walked into rebellion. The uh, humanity had exited God's dominion and God was establishing a people for himself to represent him again to a lost and dying world. And in the commandments over and over and over again to the people of Israel, he creates expectations for them that will set them apart from uh, to himself and set them apart from the gods and religions that they knew and that were all around them. See, the gods throughout history, the ancient gods throughout history, were by and large manipulative and to be manipulated. Okay, the ancient gods. Um, when you when you read the stories of these ancient gods, they were very manipulative. They were very um, controlling, and the worship of these gods was all wrapped up in how do I manipulate this god to my benefit. Um, the names of these gods were to be used in magical incantations and in curses and in various uh, things to bring prosperity to the worshiper and to bring calamity to the enemies of the worshiper. You would do certain spells and rituals and things to make this, this capricious, manipulative God thing be on your side. You had to because these ancient gods were capricious. They would do whatever they wanted. They were selfish. They were independable. Um, basically, these ancient gods were just like people. That's the bottom line. They were just like people. And just like human beings would have to... Um, would try and oppress each other and control each other and manipulate each other, these false gods were built in the image of human beings. And so human beings were constantly trying to manipulate these gods and, and to twist these gods, to force these gods to do things for them, okay? And uh, basically, these ancient gods were people with superpowers. They were just like human beings with superpowers. Now, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is constantly trying to remind his followers of one main thing. Okay? And this is what I want you to hear. This is what this whole commandment, this one commandment about not taking the name of the Lord in vain is about. God is not like you are. God, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God is not like you. And he's not like me. He is holy. That means he does not shift and change. He is integrous. He is the same 
He, there is no shadow of turning in him. He is utterly holy and the same, consistent throughout. He is completely self-sufficient. God within the Godhead needs nothing and no one. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be um, forced to do things. He doesn't need anything. He is utterly self-sufficient. He is whole within himself. He is perfect. There is no compromise of his character. He doesn't ever, ever, ever lie. Whatever he says, he does, and whatever he does matches what he says. He is not like us. He never compromises his own character. He is unwavering, selfless love. In fact, he is the definition of love. And any other use of the word love that contradicts the character of God is not real love. It is a fake love. He is unwavering, selfless love, and he is unwavering, unchanging justice. He is capable of being a just judge because he is completely, um, he cannot be bought, he cannot be bribed, he cannot be twisted, justice cannot be twisted in his hand. The point is that he is utterly other than we are. He is not like us. He is not even close to like us. He is the measure of righteousness and perfection and goodness. And every human being has fallen from that and is below that. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 8. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8. God says through the prophet Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, I am other than you are. My thoughts and my ways are other than you. They are transcendent. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Other gods are just magnified versions of human beings. Yahweh is the source of perfection and holiness and righteousness and purity from which mankind has fallen. Even in Christianity, sometimes I think, especially in Christianity, we forget the otherness of the God that we worship. We become familiar with our idea of God to the point that we subconsciously invalidate his otherness. And this, I can understand why this happens. After all, in Christianity, we worship 
the human manifestation of God, that God took on human flesh, that he came down and became one of us, that he breached that um, impenetrable wall between us and God, and that he came down and became a human being in order that he could reach to us. As John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we, as Christians, we embrace Jesus as God in the flesh, that he came to know us and to experience temptation, every temptation that we experience, but without sin, and to build a bridge between the holy God and fallen mankind. But what happens is that we look only to that aspect of Jesus and we fall for the age-old lie of rebuilding God in our image. But John, in this very passage, turn with me to John chapter 1, in this very passage, John fights against this concept, this temptation to bring God down to our level. He starts this passage by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, in other words, he's the source of life, and the life was the light of men. So. The Gospel of John is very, very much about Jesus being God in the flesh. But he starts out by talking about, let's establish a fact here. Yes, Jesus is God in the flesh, but he's also God. He is other than us. He is higher than we are. He is above us. He is the source of life and light. And we have to keep that in mind. Yes, we have the amazing privilege that we get to interact with the Holy Messiah of God. We have the amazing privilege that through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. God himself dwells inside of us and is transforming us. But what we have to do is not fall into the temptation of bringing God down to our level. Even Jesus in his ministry reiterates this commandment. Um, look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. He reiterates the commandment of not taking the name of God in vain, but he also, in this very context, talks about this temptation to make God about us. Uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
for they put, think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, they think they can manipulate God. <clears throat> Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is that? That is God reiterating the commandment to not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. To not empty the name of God of its worth and its value in who it represents. He says, hallowed be your name. And then he continues with the rest of this prayer. Notice that Jesus starts with a warning about the behavior of the Pharisees. And this is what I want to reinforce in our hearts this morning through this commandment. Okay? As human beings, we will always be tempted to make everything about us. We will always be tempted to make everything about us. Just like the Pharisees. They turned their religious practices, even prayer, into their own glory into their own, uh, building up their own idea of spirituality. Here the Pharisees were supposedly, allegedly engaged in an interaction with the God, the holy God of the universe, who is utterly other than we are, whose ways are as high above our ways and thoughts as high above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. And what did they do? Supposedly they're standing in his presence and yet their prayers are all about their own holiness. Their prayers are all about what they want. Their prayers are all about their own religiosity. And we can fall into the same temptation. And Jesus is saying, don't. That's why he starts his prayer with, Father, who is in heaven, hallowed, venerated, worshipped, be your name. We have to continue to remind ourselves that the God we worship is other than we are. He is transcendent. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. He is not like us. But we constantly, in America especially, falling into this temptation about making it about ourselves. I've heard things like this. Oh, I've had a rough week. I'm going to go to church so I can feel better. Oh, I love that worship song that talks about how much God loves me and how much he's done for me. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with going to God, okay, and receiving healing from him. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going to God and, and receiving refreshing from him. But if that's all it's about that's not worshiping God there's nothing wrong with singing celebratory songs of everything that God has done for us look at, look at the song of Miriam in the Old Testament after God delivers the, the, um, the Hebrews from the Egyptian army and that whole song is about the amazing things that God has done for his people there's nothing wrong with that but listen to me if that is all that you're doing, if all you're doing in worship 
is talking about how much God loves you and everything he's doing for you and how wonderful and loved you are, then you are no better than the Pharisees who went and stood and made a big holy picture in front of other people. That is not worship. Strictly speaking, singing about the things that God has done for you is a good thing, okay? Because it's good to remind ourselves that we are loved. It's good to remind ourselves of the amazing things that God has done. But honestly, that's not really worshiping God. That's not venerating his greatness. It's not venerating his value and his worth, strictly speaking. The other night, Joy and I watched, um, <clears throat> recently Foursquare had a meeting in Billings, Montana. We weren't able to attend, but we, um, the services are available online and on Wednesday night, which is what we call churchy night because we do church oriented things. We actually watched the first service. And I have to tell you that it was powerful to me because it was the most refreshing worshiping, worship and teaching time that I've seen in a long time. The worship team led the people in a glorification of Jesus Christ. The whole singing part of the service was about lifting up and venerating who Jesus is and his value and his holiness and his worth. It wasn't song after song after song about what God does for us. It was all about his transcendent glory and worth and the value of the Savior. And then the speaker got up and oh my gosh, do you know what? He's he's a he's a, a known speaker within his circles and he's very much in demand as a speaker and um, is very much valued and respected by his peers. And do you know what he talked about in his sermon? He talked about how much he struggled in 2020. And he talked about how through the stress of 2020, he had not been a very good leader most of that time. And he talked about how he had had a near total breakdown. And toward the end of 2020, God had provided for he and his wife to get away. And he sat on a beach, utterly broken, with nothing left to give as a pastor or a husband. And how the crucified Savior met him there and reminded him that God's strength is made perfect in weakness, not in our amazing abilities. It was such a refreshing service. It lasted two, two and a half hours, and I did not mind sitting through it because it reminded me that it's not about us. It's about him. That's what this commandment is talking about when it says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It is reminding us to, re to live our lives with a constant acknowledgement that he is other than we are. That he is the one who deserves to be worshipped and honored that he is the one who is made strong when we are weak, that he's the one who has all the answers. 
and that all the answers are about him, not about us. He is holy other than we are. He is completely above us and our thoughts and our ways. That is the reason why we don't use the name of God and why we don't use the name of Jesus as cuss words. Not because the problem is using them as cuss words. It's because we are reminding ourselves that he is holy and we are not. And that his name is to be valued and to be venerated and to be worshipped in the way that we use it. So um, for our self-check this week, I just want to ask you to do the same thing that I am. Um, and I'm going to pray this prayer and I ask you to pray it with me, asking God to examine our hearts. God, we come before you, God, and, and, and we acknowledge that it is so easy for us to fall into the mindset that <clears throat> you are familiar um, that you're somehow like us, that we're on the same level that you are. Uh, God, that is so not true. Oh my gosh, is that a lie from the pit of hell. Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so your ways and your thoughts are above ours. God, if we ever want to be reminded of how God, how even Christ himself is other than we are. The very disciple, John, who spends his gospel talking about Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus as the incarnate God with us. His last writings at the end of his life are the book of Revelation. And God, if we read the book of Revelation and come out of that thinking that Jesus is somehow the same as us, then we're not reading it right. Jesus, you are the name that is above every other name. At your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are indisputed Lord of all. Jesus, let us remember who you are. Let us daily be humbled as we remember who you are. And God, we will not take your name in vain because we venerate who that name represents. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our thoughts to understand how other you are compared to us and that you are worthy of all our worship and all our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the clock is dinging noon. I was going to go in and turn it off and, and stop it before we started. Hopefully the ticking has not been completely overwhelming and annoying for you. Um, thank you for joining me this morning in this exploration of, of God's greatness and his bigness to us. Listen, we love you.
we miss all you guys because we haven't seen you in a while. We're looking forward to seeing you when we get back from our trip. Um, and uh, listen, we really do believe in you and we do believe in Jesus in you. So thanks for joining us this morning, guys. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember, we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you. Have a great week.